This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC on location, San Diego, Ursa 2019. I have the pleasure of having someone that I've met with episodically over email over about 15 years, and we're finally getting together in person, so we figured might as well just do it live on a podcast, make it official. TRX founder, CEO, Randy Hetrick. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show on an early morning in San Diego. Top of the morning to you, Pete. Happy Excellent. to join you. Excellent. So you're uh, you were a Navy SEAL. I was not. And uh, you've turned uh, your passion into a uh, profession and a household name. And uh, you've helped a lot of people and you've created a big movement. So today, besides us becoming friends, which is the objective of the podcast, is to share with our audience... You know, how, how you built the business, how you think about the business, how you kind of put the noise away and say, like, hey, this is where I'm going next. And, um, you know, kind of what drives you and, and, you know, where you see the future and we'll go from there. So maybe you want to just give people like a quick primer on uh, on your background. And then uh, if there are things I want to fill in, I'll just fill them in for you. Yeah. Cool. Well, so, um, I mean, I spent the first sort of half of my adult life in the Navy SEAL teams as an officer and... Uh, you know, I did about 14 years in total. Um, during that time, most of the time I was in operational units and the, the common sort of repetitive theme is we would deploy overseas and basically SEALs and every other kind of special ops dude is, is essentially a, a pro athlete in uniform, right? right? In terms of training requirements and physical output. But we would deploy and the second that we left the States, we would no longer have any gear to train with. And on one of those deployments, uh, you know, I was stuck in a little warehouse in Southeast Asia and I came up with this idea to use, I had accidentally deployed with my jujitsu belt stuffed in my, in my bag. Uh-huh. And I just got this idea to, to sort of train for climbing up the side of a ship on a ladder, which meant you had to do the pulling muscles. There was no no way to do that, and I came up with this idea of, hey, maybe if I take this belt, tie a knot in the end of it, throw it over the door, and then use my body weight against gravity, I can, I can create a tool right. for this purpose, which today, right, we call functional training. Sure. And uh, so we were ahead of the curve on that one, and and I created. So like last resort training is what it should have really been, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was just you know, hey, the original invention of necessity, but it got popular sure. with guys in the in the squadron, and and I I decided to make a business out of it. I gotta tell you, like the 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 underlying theme of most of these podcasts that we do, and and every entrepreneur I talk to, it's based on I had a personal frustration. So I knew exactly what I was trying to f- trying to solve for, and then I came up with a creative way to solve that, and that became a company. And you can never take away like the DNA of that experience, and that DNA basically becomes the brand promise, and that promise is something that you promised yourself, effectively, when you started the company. Yeah, I mean, I think that is the common thread. If you go, at least with entrepreneurs that that did it the right way, there are there are entrepreneurs, right? That that start things with a solution for which there is no problem. Exactly. And then you're rolling yeah, like a, a rock. Bell, you're bell and whistling the shit out of everything, right? Yeah, and right? you're trying to roll a rock uphill because yeah. you didn't really solve anything. Yeah. And I think the best ideas are the ones that, you know, people struggled with themselves and then suddenly had that, you know, epiphany of a great solution. And if they had this real problem, then probably somebody else did. And it ends up, you know, that you're solving something so that you don't have to market it quite as hard. Whereas if you're just yeah. creating another version of something somebody else has already created or you're, or you're creating something that nobody even needs, 
Well, now you need to push pretty hard to get yeah. people to buy it. Well, and also I think you know, over time, you you know, you get. I mean, I was pretty popular. You're pretty popular, and you're like, if I if I need something, there's a very good chance that almost everyone else that I'm friends with needs the same thing because they kind of live the same lifestyle I right. do. You know, some of those things are, you know, positive. Some of those things are negative. Yeah, but everyone's looking unless for you're a complete kook. Yeah, there's somebody else who probably has that need, too. Yeah, and even, exactly. And like, even if you are, there's lots of other kooks in the world. Right. So. I'm not completely you know, off the wall to do some functional training in Southeast Asia or, like, in a place where there's not a full, you know, health club operation set up. So where did the name TRX come from and, and why the color yellow? Well, you know, the, those are both interesting questions. I, you, Thank you. I'll take, the, uh, I'll take on the name first. I, I used to try, when I first brought the suspension trainer into the market, right, there was no predecessor. So nobody understood how it worked. And they mm -hmm. used to say, well, like, well, wait a minute, it doesn't stretch. You know, it doesn't have weights. And, right. I, and I would be trying to explain, no, it uses your body weight. And I started describing it to people like on airplanes or at a restaurant right. or asking me what I did as a total body resistance exercise system. In right? circa what? Give me like, a, like, like people need to understand how long it takes to like get ubiquitous with a brand. Well, the name first struck me probably in uh, around 2004, 2005, because when I first brought the, the product to market, it, we were called something else. You know, we were called Travel Fit because I, oh, really? because I originally had envisioned that this would be used primarily when you're on the road. That's how I'd used it, right? Right. And, and then, but the funny thing is, by the time that I was starting the company, I had kind of migrated over to using it every, every day, no matter what I was doing. It had kind of replaced, you know, lifting weights for me. And so, you know, but I was describing it as total body resistance exercise, and it just sort of struck me one day, hey, TRX. Total resistance. Yeah. TRX. TR. Not travel. No. TRX, yeah. total travel, resistance. Travel, you know, it was funny because when I started catching on with trainers, trainers had this impression that anything that was made for travel was kind of gimmicky. Right, so right, the trainer right, started yeah. saying to me, like, hey, why the travel? I see this in the gym, you know, as being a, becoming a, a mainstay. Yeah. And I was like, man, well, I like your vision, but, you know, hard to, hard to imagine that, that we could compete with these big machine manufacturers sure. and stuff. And uh, the trainers saw, saw it before I did. So, so you bring the jujitsu set out. You come back. You're like, hey, everyone wants this. It's working for me physically and, and it's working, you know, for my guys and my buddies. Um, when did you say, all right, let me start a company? Like, did you, did you, was there, was there a jumping off point where you're like, all right, I'm leaving the service and I'm going to start this business? Or is it like, kind of like an evolution of like parallel pathing it? it? You know, it evolved. I, I didn't, I didn't think I was, I left, decided to leave service because, you know, one, I was promoting out of the field and I never really wanted to be a Navy bureaucrat. I, I liked uh -huh. leading troops in the field. How long do you stay? Like, how long can you stay in Navy SEAL? Like to what is As, it? Is it based on age or is it based on like aptitude? And, it's similar to uh, pro sports, right? Like okay. as an operator in the field, you know, you start to, especially as an officer, because you've got to keep going up the ranks. Right. So, you know, you start to, at the elite level, you know, mid-30s, you're kind of pushing the edge of of the envelope physically. And then uh, and then you, you need to promote up the chain because the, the organization needs, you know, leaders and administrators. And right, sure. So, and then I had a baby on the way that I, I really wanted to be my first first one of my friends to actually know my kid because awesome. everybody else who had kids you know had to had to leave them and deploy oh, six to nine right, months right, a year right. wow. and uh, and so i i decided to apply to stanford and to my everlasting astonishment i got in and and it wasn't honestly when i went there i never thought about i still wasn't thinking about making a business around these crazy straps so so you had the straps while you were 
at business school. Yeah, I had but, created but these apps like, in the teams, right? And, but, but it was a, it was a, it was like a fun. Right, you know, it was like I was selling T-shirts back in the day. You, you had like straps. Yeah, that you my used. buddies liked the straps. I kind of got a kick out of it. Sure. I never, I never actually thought there was a business in it. But you kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, geez, I wonder, you know? Right. But when I was at business school, one of my buddies had been a, a, a running back and got introduced me to the S and C coaches at Stanford. And we ended up, you know, they told him, Hey, my buddy's an old commando. We're both strength conditioning for everybody. Can we, uh, can we come out and work out in the athlete training center instead of the campus gym? Nice. And so we would go out there and I'd, I'd go into this, you know, it's world-class facility, go to the squat rack, hook up my straps and crush this workout. And over the course of five or six months, every single one of the coaches came walking up to me, who'd be in there training their, you know, their squads and, and were asking me like, all right, you got to tell me, what is this thing? It's really interesting. Can uh-huh. I try it? Ten minutes later, they'd be like, dude, could you make a set of these for my squad? Where you were you getting a producer at the time? No, I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> making them. I was a, I was a business school bringing them student. with you. I just had this, you know, this set that I'd stitched together. <laughs> and uh, But they're like, could you make some of these for me? And, you know, I was like, look, I don't really make them. I'm, I'm not yeah, making yeah. these or selling them. Yeah. But where can I get them? What's the guy? What's the guy? Uh, the Broadway show, like Joseph and like the Technical or Dreamcoat or something. Like walking in with your straps yeah, and be I like, yo, straps. "Yo, I need that. Give me one of those." So, so it was. You know, you hear that enough times, and you, everyone from the you know the women's tennis coach to the football coach, yeah, to track and field. All of a sudden, you're, you're at business school, thinking about business, and yeah. you know, I started sort of scratching my head, going, "Well, maybe." Mm. So I used the summer between first and second year to kind of you know, vet out designs and, and look into manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. And then I used the second year as an incubator that basically, you know, I worked through every business discipline that if I was going to do this, I would need to kind of have at least more or less nailed down to, to do. And uh, by the end of my second year, you know, I, I, to your question about the yellow, I did a bunch of focus grouping in my class and, you know, said, Hey, here's the kind of brand I want to have. And here's who I want to appeal to. I don't want it to be you know, it's already coming from a pretty masculine story. Yeah, so I don't sure. want it to be like too masculine, right? Because I want to yeah. attract women as well. And, you know, that bumblebee yellow ended up uh, being the color of yeah. choice. That's great. I mean, it's, it's interesting how brands, um, you know, evolve over time. And, you've, you know, you kept through, you know, true to the, to the same font, right, from the beginning. We've bounced around a little bit. It stayed close enough that you'd never it's know close, the Yeah, I, I would yeah. know. But I like to feel like I'm, I'm like an old uh, ex-Colts gym guy. You know, and I'm like, dude, I just want to, do not mess with the font. You know, don't mess with the colors. Don't mess with the font. Like, hey, that's it's a, like bell bottoms. Great, like people wearing bell bottoms now, but you got to stay true. Great and through, brand. You know? It takes a long time, right? So if you, yeah. change, if you keep yeah. changing things. You make it harder, not easier, for people to, to lock on to your brand and start to adopt it. So, part of the audience on on this on these podcasts are are listening for educational purposes, and they're saying, "Okay, I want to develop a product, and I want to build a brand, or I want to build a company." You know, you obviously took time from going from you know a, a Navy SEAL two years of full time business school, right? It wasn't like a night. No, it was full time. Kicked my butt. Too. Yeah, I went. I went to Harvard Business School, and for the first couple of weeks, I was like, I don't know if I belong here. I'm not know if I need this. You know, I left my like day job where I was like had I was in my comfort zone. I was making decent money in New York, and I went to business school. And it wasn't until like a month afterwards that I got there. I'm like, okay, I'm like one, I can compete here. Two, I'm like comfortable. Three, like I can be a little bit of a wise ass, which is required. And uh, and I found some guys I could play sports with. But hey, you, how was that experience for you? And how do you feel like you do? You, do you highly recommend 
when you see someone who's got like two or three years of experience, like, dude, I know it sounds like, you know, it's going to be a big investment. I know you think you're going to miss something in the two years that you're going to go to business school, but how is your experience and what kind of recommendations do you typically make? You know, obviously people are different, but like, what do you, what do you tell people? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, my experience was maybe unique because I, I was 36, right? I was the oldest guy in Stanford business school in my class by like six years. So I was the father confessor of the class, right? You know, all these kids were actually, it was funny. There were, the mode was 26 and a half. Yeah. That's what I was when I was there. The mean was 28 because of me, right? Because I was out on the end of the teeter totter, bringing up, you know, all the 26 year olds into an average of 28. So it was a little bit of a, of a harsh adjustment. And I'd come from, you know, being a squadron commander at the special missions unit, pretty sort of self-congratulatory place. And I landed at the bottom of the curve, you know, of all in Stanford, the first year is all quant. Yeah. And I hadn't had math in 25 years. So it pretty well kicked my ass, but I needed to do it. And into your question, you know, I think it sort of depends on where someone's coming from. If they're coming from a relevant business focused area and, and, you know, then, then I would say that, that an MBA is more maybe elective. If you're coming from like I was, I didn't speak business. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I had no clue. So for you, it was kind of like, it was really like a crash course. It's like a reset and like, point, yeah, it'd right? be like, okay, if I'm going in here, I'm going, I'm going in hard and I'm going in like educated and I'm going to like, you know, come out of here and say like, all right, I caught up basically. Yeah. I mean, I, what I'd been, what I'd spent 14 years was learning how to get rid of bad guys, right? Not, not build a business. With so, good guys, for good guys. For good guys. So I, I had to, uh, I needed the help to kind of figure out gotcha. vocabulary, understand basic stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I mean, I thought it was worthwhile, but it is to a gr- certain extent what you make of it. Right? right. Yeah. I mean, I tell people to go, I mean, you know, we're on a planet. It's only moving 66,000 miles an hour around the fireball for no reason and rotating at 1200 miles an hour. So you might as well like go like experience things that you only have once in a lifetime to do. You know, sure there's a bucket you know, list. And I'm sure your network like mine, you, you know, that you, that you got at business school has helped. Oh right? man, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, that, that's one thing, you know, for if people are considering taking, going to business school, the, if you say like what the open rate on is like on a, on an email blast, like you, you want to sell a product, you know, you have like a 5% open rate or maybe you're lucky you have a 30 or 40% open rate. You go to business school and you contact your business, one of your business school friends you need a favor. You get a 100% open rate and you have yeah. 100% response and 100% follow-up. So I've never had a bad experience when I've leaned on someone or, or done someone else a favor. And that network is um, – it's, it's amazing how tight that is, you know, from yeah. an alumni standpoint. That, so, I mean, picking a, picking a business school should be at least partly about that. You know, who has the, the best evolved network – uh, in your area, and then you're going to get some basic skills. But if you want your network to really work, I always tell people like, it, it doesn't matter how big your Rolodex is; it matters how powerful it is. Meaning, yeah, sure. Meaning, when you when you make that call, do they not only pick up the phone, but are they willing to stop what they're doing? Right, stop the bus, get out, and help you. And the only way that happens if you, is if you've been one of those kinds of cats. Sure. Yeah. I think the interesting thing also, and just maybe a lesson that I've learned is like, when you call someone. Or you, you email someone and you ask them to do you a favor, like, make sure, like, you have the ability to execute on what that favor is ASAP. Like, don't say, like, hey, Randy, can you, uh, you know, do me a favor? I'm trying to get to, um, you know, L.A. Fitness. And I'll say, yeah, I can do that for you. Like, I'll do it for What do you need me to do? And you'll be like, well, let me get back to you in a couple of weeks. Like, tell me what you need. I'm going to get it done now. Because when you say, I, when you say help, I say now. Yeah. But if you just let it linger, it's going to be like, dude, like, don't, don't, uh, 
cry wolf on me. Like sure. if you want my help, like get it and take it now. I think that I think that's good advice on both sides, right? When when somebody, if you're going to go ask somebody for a favor, make sure you can clearly articulate it exactly. and ready to act on it. And then on the other side, you know, if you want if you want to have the it's, it's the old golden rule, right? The stuff we learn in kinder, kindergarten. If you want somebody to stop the bus for you when they call, you got to put the damn thing in park, get out, and say, okay, how can I help? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, you know, I believe in uh, you know positive energy, positive karma, and like the more good things you do for other people, like it, it comes back. I had a I had a, uh, a guy that I used to work for, this guy Hal, and he used to always say like, look, you got to be long term greedy, okay? Long term greedy. Like doesn't matter what happens with this deal, it doesn't matter what favor you do here. Like at some point, and I've been doing this. He's like, I've been doing this for forty years, and like I've made a significant amount of money, and not one person says a bad thing about me in forty years. And the reason because of that is because I've taken care of people along the way, and I've done some favors. And Pete, I haven't got paid for some of them. And you know what? At the time, I was upset and I was young about it. But you know, there's going to be a five million dollar fee deal, and there's going to be a ten million dollar opportunity. There's going to be a relationship that you have that's priceless. You know, like wait for that because it's going to happen. I, lo- I love that advice. I mean, it's it's awesome advice. And it's frankly the way we built this company. You know, we probably made more money for more people, both individual trainers and clubs that we didn't charge for and that, and that we haven't monetized sure. than anybody else in the business. But the idea was, hey, if we help trainers and clubs build great businesses and we just keep leaning into what they need, at yeah. some point, right, at some point, it's going to come full circle and we're going to be in a really unique position in this industry and also on the consumer side to to really you know your long term greedy but you know we'll get there yeah. and how do you how do you you know i know you got a new uh you know uh, growth equity partner now and it's a buddy of mine Brent Leffel who used to live next door to me and we share a well, we didn't share a patio, but if I needed something, I'd climb over the patio and, like, borrow a pair of socks. He was, like, out of socks by, like, the first six months I was in there. And I used to use this computer because he had a uh, better broadband than me. And his girlfriend would come and say, Brent, why are you on these sites? And he's like, no, it's Pete. And I was like, <laughs> it was 100% true. So I'm like, I, yeah, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. I was in there. I was on that site that I'm not supposed to go on. Anyway, I'm not doing that anymore, thankfully, but that's just a little bit of a... <laughs> The therapy session and we'll talk about and block myself my point was that that when you take on a new growth equity partner and it's called growth equity it's like okay randy we got to grow right that's that's the play here that's why we put money in we're gonna back you you're like the jockey and we got great horses and let's like fire this thing up and you're like okay let's figure out where we want to go let's figure out like staying true to our brand and who we are and let's not go and do um uh, I don't know. We had the guys from the ab roller here, like just a minute ago. Like, all right, is TRX should we go do an ab roll line? Well, that's not who we are. So, how do you kind of think about in closing here? Stay true to your brand. Stay true to like, you know, what lane that you're in, but also understand like, okay, it's a capitalist society. I'm not running this as a nonprofit, you know, and yeah, you know, I got to build this business, but I also got to build it smart, and I got to also enjoy it while you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we look, we had some other investors we had to move out. And and so we knew we had to go and raise some more institutional capital. And what I learned in in my, you know, my experience so far is that you really want a partner that's a lot more than just capital, because if you just take capital, uh, number one, you better be right on everything, the ways you deploy it, because there's going to be a tab that comes due down the line. Right. right. It's bigger than anything you thought at the time. And then number two, it gets really tiring doing all the lifting. And so this time, right, I really wanted to partner with a partner who had, um, it was a complete partner and had real mojo in the industry, real context, real experience, and 
capital, right? And so uh, Brent and I had known each other for a long time. He was actually one of our key accounts uh, during his time at NEV and UFC Gyms. Sure, yeah. So, you know, he, uh, he and I had actually had asked him to come help me work on a element of our business plan uh, around our training center business. And while he was there, he was working on, you know, his, his new fund. And we ended up deciding, hey, let's, let's do this, structure this thing as a management buyout, get a bunch of great new partners in uh-huh. his LP group who come from the industry. Great. Right. And, uh, and man, it feels amazing to Good have, feel. to have, you know, a partner who is really lifting and really contributing. And, you know, we're, we're in the place so to our growth, we've built a great business, uh, around product and education that has helped a lot of gyms and trainers, you know, make, make great businesses. And now we're, we're at the point where we're ready to launch some new services. Right. And, uh, and I think we're going to see some really significant growth because we've put, you know, 300,000 trainers through our courses yeah, it's over, amazing. over the last, yeah. you know, decade. And now we're bringing some services to them and we're bringing some, some services to the clubs. We're in about 50 or 60,000 clubs. Well, those are big numbers, right? And when yeah, you start sure. to add some service revenue, which is very high margin, you know, recurring, right. you can transform what was a, you know, a good, but mid margin business into a stupendous business. And that's, that's what we're doing now. So how do you think about, um, you know, just, uh, just one more component here. It's like, you created the brand. This brand is synonymous with you. Like you are the brand, you know, and obviously the company's turned into a company, but you know, in this industry, people are like, oh yeah, that's Randy's company, right? How do you think about when, when someone whiteboards up, you know, with Brandon and the, and the Equity 38 guys, and your other guys come in and they say, okay, let's go into this area. Like, are you the one to be like, look, I, let me tell you what feels right. And let me tell you what's what what's like overreaching for what like TRX either stands for or what we can actually the promise that we can continue to deliver. So maybe we could just like give you a tidbit on that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if you get the right partners, you're mostly talking about you're, you're not sort of at odds about what to do. You're more talking about hey, what sequence do we put these things in? Because right, right, right. if you get the right partners, they have the same sort of vision of the industry. They understand your brand. They understand your capabilities before they invest. So by the time they actually join with you, you know, you shouldn't be on wildly different paths. If you are, which I have been in the past, then, then you screwed up. Yeah, and, I got you. And so we, we are, you know, I think it's a great tension, uh, to the extent that there is any tension, it's around, Hey, how do we generate, you know, more profitable revenue? Sure. How do we manage our expenses better? What order, if we have three growth initiatives, which one comes first, which one comes second, and which one comes third? And those are things that, frankly, man, I'm thrilled to yeah, have. Yeah, sure. Somebody's got to analyze input. your business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You another know, you, set of eyes. You yeah. get another set of eyes yeah. of very well trained brains. Yeah. Because, man, if you've been an entrepreneur for any amount of time, you start to realize it ain't no fun to be the only one that's constantly pushing and having to be the guy that, that comes up with the ideas. Fortunately, like I built a great team, so I already have a lot of great input, but yeah. it's very cool to have at a strategic level, you know, a strategic insights and financial strategy level to have guys that know how to do that better than me. Yeah, it's great. Well, we look forward to, um, to working with you guys, helping you build out, you know, and, and expand your relationship set around the world. So in closing here, any, uh, any quotes or uh, management or like, you know, Randy isms that, that kind of fly around and be like, dude, he always says that or like, Hey, this is kind of your, uh, your ML. Well, I mean, my, uh, 
my the, the the biggest the the quote I like the best is is the Henry Ford quote on the power of belief. You know, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. And I I my guys <laughs> my, my guys get tired of hearing hearing that. But you know, I'm I, I don't have a bunch of isms. Uh, I I speak. We'll take that one. I speak I like a lot of military, so so yeah. everything I say ends up being sounding to somebody else like it's sort of an ism. But yeah. uh, but I don't I can't I don't have anything that's you know right at the tip of my. We'll tongue. do the can or the can. I think that's one. I I gotta believe that uh, the answer is gonna be you can. So, congrats on the success. Appreciate everything you've done for the industry, and look forward to seeing the uh, the next set of growth for this uh, growth play. Right on, Pete. Thanks awesome. for having me, man. All right, bro.